Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us on this Easter Sunday as we begin a new series, Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. Lead Pastor David Fossil points out how we can ruin our lives by living as if the resurrection is just a fairy tale. We have to ask ourselves if we think of the resurrection as just a really good story or whether it's more than that to us. We're directed to look at four theories about Easter, and then Pastor Dave lays out three challenges for us and directs us to what Easter is all about. My middle kid, Jessica, who's now 16, was uh, about five or six at the time. It was on Easter week. It was a Saturday of Easter week. We were at home. We were all getting ready uh, to go to an Easter egg hunt children's program at church. And uh, there we were waiting for, for mom, for Sandy and for Josh to get ready. And uh, so as the spiritual leader of my home, I wanted to make sure uh, my daughter, Jessie, understood what, what is happening and what's going on. And so I very simply asked her, uh, sweetie, what, what, what is Easter all about? And she said, uh, you know, a little five-year-old, six-year-old, she goes, about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And I said, very good, very good, sweetie, but, but what next? What then? And she's thinking and she's thinking. She goes, oh, it's about, it's about Jesus rising from the dead on the third day. And I said, very good, sweetie, but, but then what? What next? And, and I, got, she says, I could see her thinking and I could see the wheels turning in her brain, you know, and, and I'm standing there as her dad. I, I'm expecting her to, to give me an answer to where she starts explaining uh, the, the atoning work of Jesus Christ. You know, the redemption, the atonement, you know, um, that, that comes be in justification that comes through Christ alone. I'm thinking maybe she's going to quote a verse in Greek, you know, because uh, that's what I expect of the preacher's kid, you know. Okay, so sweetie, it, the cross of Jesus, he died on the cross for our, for, for our sins, and he rose from the dead on the third day, but, but what then? And she's thinking, and she's thinking, and then she says, and then I get candy from the Easter Bunny! <laughs> so I gave her a good spank and sent her to her room. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do that. You know, um, by the way, if you've ever wondered, how the heck did the Easter bunny become a symbol for Easter? Have you ever figured that out? Well, how did the bunny become a symbol for Easter? It's actually not that hard to figure it out. Let's go ahead and put it up there real quick. The bad thing is, some of you, that's all you're going to remember. You want to get your phones right now? Let me take that picture real quick. <laughs> um, honestly, um, what... I think many of us, uh, uh, good church growing kind of Christians, um, we have, uh, like my daughter at age five or six, a fairly simple understanding of, of Easter week. We get the story on the cross, we get the resurrection, uh, but then if someone were to say, well, what then? What next? We'd be like, uh, is there anything after? Th- I mean, that's it, right? Today we're starting a brand new series called Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. Why are we doing this? It seems kind of like a little negative maybe even. Because frankly, you all know this instinctively, that if you want a fulfilling, satisfying, productive life, it's not just about putting good stuff in your life. 
It's about making sure you don't do stupid stuff. I mean, haven't we all made a stupid mistake or done something and it like takes us off course for like a couple years, in some cases longer. Life is not only about doing good things, but about making sure you don't do bad things. So we're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes, the five biggest mistakes that people make to, to, to wreck their life. If you have your study guide and you want to pull it out, you'll see week one. It very simply, one of the first steps and easiest thing you can do to wreck your life is to think of the resurrection as just a really good story. It'll jack you up. Not on this side of eternity, but on the other side, it'll mess you up. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. If you want to use one of the church Bibles in the chairs, in the blue chairs, or grab one on the back, we're going to be on page 1060. Luke chapter 24. What I'm going to start by doing is I'm going to start by reading. I don't have, there's like 50 some verses, so I'm not going to be able to put it all on the screen. So this is a good week to have a Bible there and follow along with me. We're really going to land on, on verse 13 and following. It's the story of two guys uh, on the road to Emmaus. But just we kind of got to have to set the stage Verse uh, chapter 24, verse one uh, starts off and it says, um, says on the first day of the week, in other words, Sunday, Jesus died on Friday. So it's resurrection Easter Sunday, very early in the morning. The women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. What are they doing? This is commonplace in those days because a body was buried very, very quickly. According to Jewish law, you didn't wait till, you know, uncle so-and-so or cousin so-and-so to come in town to, to have a funeral and, and memorial service. No, you buried the body right away, but they didn't have good embalming process in those days. Uh, it, it's not like the Egyptians with the pharaohs. No, they just wrapped them up pretty much in a sheet and put them, put them in a grave. And so they're thinking we're going to have people visit the tomb. So they're coming with spices. So it doesn't stink. That's what's happening in verse one. Very simply. Verse two, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. Verse four, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men who turned out to be angels clothed uh, in clothes that were gleaming like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? And in the key verses that I really want to show to you, we can put them up on the screen. Uh, the, the, the angels say to the women, he's not here. He's risen. And then they say this to him. And I find this very interesting, very kind of almost humorous. It says, remember how Jesus told you? Remember that one time he was teaching while that he was still with you in Galilee, that he, the son of man, must be delivered over in the hands of sinners, that he would be crucified. In other words, he would die. And then on the third day, he would be raised again. Now, if, if, if Jesus, if someone ever said that to you, you would you think you'd remember, you'd remember that, right? Okay, I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back to life. You'd rem- and then they remembered his words. I just, <laughs> I find this a little funny because the women, they're coming to the tomb, you know, and they're all discouraged and they're depressed. And oh my goodness, to the surprise, the, the, the rock is rolled to the side. What's going on? They walk inside, there's no body. You know, they're like, what happened? Who did this? This is not right. And then the angel said, you remember when he said that he was going to die and he was going to come back to get from the dead? Remember all that? And they're like, you're right. I, we now we remember that. I remember that. He said that, right? Now, I, I guess why I find this so interesting is because I can identify with them. 
are, are you like me? Sometimes I just, I just forget what's in here. It's not that I don't know it. I just forget it. I, I forget what Jesus has to say to me about life. A lot of times, you know, one of the things that I think that we as a group more often forget about what's in this, in this book is we forget how often God tells us that problems and suffering is just a part of normal life. We forget that. And when things go sorrow, or sorrow, when things go bad, uh, so many of us, we get all bent out of shape with God. We think he's turning his back on us. Uh, No, you need to remember what he said. It's actually quite normal. It's what happens. So anyway... They're told that Jesus is risen from the dead. In verse 9, it says, when they, came back, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and the others who told of the apostles. So, so they, they, they go to the tomb. There's nobody there. The angels say he's risen from the dead. They're like, oh, my goodness. So they go back to the upper room where the disciples are hiding. And then they say, guess what? And then we went there and the stone was rolled and the clothes were right there. And then angels appeared and they told us about Jesus risen from the dead. And he's risen from the dead. And then this next verse, I think, is, is just a fantastic verse. But they, that's the disciples of Jesus, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, let me show you what other translations say. Um, the message say the disciples thought the women were just making it all up. Philip's translation says that they thought the women, had, it was just sheer imagination. The Living Bible said that they thought that the women were just telling a fairy tale. Nonsense. Now, why I find this a little refreshing is because here's the disciples of Jesus, the leaders of the early church, and they're thinking, yeah, no, that didn't happen. Why do I find this refreshing? Because it's, it's just us today, right? Just, just keep it between us. Let's not tell the people at IHOP this morning, just us, right? When you first hear the claims of Jesus, when you first hear the claims of this book, just be honest, doesn't it a little bit sound like nonsense? Okay, so there's this like teenage girl in Israel and, and she gets pregnant and has a baby but she's a, she's a virgin, you know? And uh, so she has this baby, and it's not just a man. It's actually God. The baby's God created the universe. It's God, you know? And, and, and he's the perfect kid, perfect baby, perfect child, no timeouts, no spankings, uh, perfect, perfect, never makes any mistake, never sins, never breaks the law. And, and you would think everybody loves him, but they don't love him. The authorities actually hate him and they kill him. And then they put him in a tomb. But after three days, he raises, he comes back from the dead and he hangs out with his buddies for like 40 days. And then he floats up into heaven, but he's going to come back and rescue us riding a white horse. Now, if someone says that to you, you have to say, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I believe. I mean, I'm thinking maybe the horse is like a metaphor, but I might be weird if he comes in on a horse. But yeah, that's, that's what I believe, right? It just, I mean, now I believe that, but there's a part of me that goes, oh, goodness gracious, this sounds a little, sounds a little nonsense, you know? Come on. It does. By the way, that's why Paul says that the message of the cross is as foolishness to those who are perishing. 
All he's trying to say is that if you aren't in Christ, if you haven't given your life to God, there's something in your brain that makes you go, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. So if you feel like that every once in a while, relax. The disciples felt that way. They thought it was nonsense. What I'd like to encourage you to do, however, is be like Peter. In the very next verse, here's what we read. Let me show you. Peter, however, in other words, indication that maybe all of them except Peter felt this way. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. In other words, he's checking things out. I'm going to, I'm going to check it out. I'm, I'm not just not going to listen to, you know, someone else that saw or experienced. I'm going to check it out. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. That phrase in the Greek there means to consider, to think through, to process information. That's what I want to encourage you today for the next 20, 25 minutes is, is really think this through because this is a this is a big deal. Uh, I, I've already suggested to you that how you decide on this one issue can either bless your life or really mess it up. And I, I truly believe that. So I just want to encourage you, you process the information, think it through, try to identify what you see as truth. Now, what I'm going to land on is, is a story I told you starting in verse 13. In verse 13, you have this story on your Bibles that says, on the road to Emmaus. So let's just start by reading. It says, now the same day, two of them. Now the them here is not the disciples, it's followers of Jesus. He had many followers and two of the followers, it says, were going to a village called Emmaus. It says about seven miles from Jerusalem. So let's just make sure we understand this. They're in Jerusalem. They experience Passover week and Easter week. And on Sunday morning, as the women, basically just after the women have, you know, gone to the tomb and everything, they decide to travel from, from Jerusalem to this town called Emmaus, seven miles away. That seems like nothing to us seven miles away. Right. We go to restaurants that are further away than that. What you need to understand and why I've highlighted it is that's the equivalent of one day journey. It's the equivalent of us going from the Bay Area to Los Angeles, more or less. That's going to become important in a second. It says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And then he went into the temple that one day and he overturned. Were you there? Oh, yeah, I saw that. And then that one time when he when he got in the face of the Pharisees. And did you hear about one of his disciples, Judas? They're talking about everything that happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus. Seven miles away, one day's journey from where everything happened himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, um, one of the things that you need to understand is that this resurrection story and what is happening in these verses, the appearances of Jesus, which, oh, by the way, weren't just to the 11, but over 500 people, thus the momentum creates a major and a significant problem for the secular mind. Because everyone agrees something happened in 33 AD Jerusalem that one week of Passover. Something happened. Something happened that from a historical perspective, not spiritual, a historical perspective shifted the entire Roman Empire. The most powerful force on earth at the time was completely and radically changed because of what happened that one weekend in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know this, but by 350 AD, 51% of the Roman Empire claim Jesus as Lord and God, 
Oh, by the way, it wasn't the popular in thing to do either. Quite the opposite. In fact, if you claim Christ as Lord and as God, more often than not, you suffered and in some case lost your life. 51% of the most powerful empire at the time, 51 are saying, yeah, I, I believe he was God. Why? It's this whole resurrection thing. It, it, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And, and that's where people try, what people, what, what kind of story is it? It's, it's, it's like unbelievable. Let me talk to you about two unbelievable things and then ask you to consider where the resurrection fits in. You have a picture on the left. Picture taken on Sunday, July the 20th, 1969 of Neil Armstrong as he first walks as man on moon. Now, if you were around in the late 1960s or early 1970s, you will know that while this was broadcast around the entire world, there were many people that believed that the picture on the left wasn't actually happening in outer space. Oh, no, no. It was an actor or actors in a Hollywood studio down in Los Angeles. Many people believe that for quite a while. It's just a hoax. Why? It's unbelievable. How can you possibly believe that man could go to outer space and walk on, on the moon? On the right side of the screen, you have one of the most famous and popular illusionists, magicians of our day, David Copperfield. He does a lot more than make flowers float in the air. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his specials. Where, where Have you ever seen him like he makes the Statue of Liberty disappear? You ever seen that one? Or he makes a, a jet plane disappear. Question. Do you believe that he actually did it? Now, instinctively, you go, I don't know. There's something with mirrors or or tarps or something. It's a great show. But yeah, what's on the right side of the screen, I don't believe it to be true. It's unbelievable, but untrue. Since the 1969, we have believed now that what's on the left actually is unbelievable, but completely true. And so the question I have for you is where does the resurrection fit on what side of the screen? Because there's no middle ground here. It's either the greatest hoax and trick played on mankind, cruel trick, or as unbelievable as it was for man to go into outer space and walk on the moon. Likewise, we believe that God from outer space came and walked on earth. It's one or the other, but you can't have the middle. So what happened? There's only four possible explanations, four possible, you might call them theories. The first explanation is that Jesus never died. Um, this was proposed by an Italian called Venturini. And basically, here's how the idea goes. He didn't raise from the dead. Come on. That's so simple minded. He just he, he, he just he never died. Yes, he was on the cross. They nailed him to the cross. And yes, he suffered. And then they took him down and they put him in a tomb and uh, and then the cold air kind of revived him. And so he came out of the tomb. He appeared to the disciples. They thought he'd risen from the dead. So he decided, what the heck? I'm going to go along with the story. And he tricked everybody. That's the theory. But let's let's think this through. Jesus is beaten for 20 hours. Nails are driven through his ankles and through his wrists. He hangs on a cross for a half a day, he's jabbed with a spear just before he's taken down. Then they take his body and they wrap him with 150 pounds of cloth. 
for burial, including his head, which we now know, even if you do it to a healthy person, would asphyxiate to death. But he somehow or another is able to survive. They put him in the tomb. He wakes up. He's able to take all the wrappings out. Then he's able to move a two-ton, a two-ton stone away. None of the, 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 uh, the, the, the soldiers see him. And then, apparently, I mean, even though he's experienced the most severe beating, this cat heals quickly. He's like Wolverine because 40 hours later, he's going a seven mile hike to Emmaus eating sunflower seeds. <laughs> Have you ever broken your toe or seen someone who breaks their toe? Have you ever seen him? Right? Seen him trying to walk? You're just looking at him. You're like, you know, and they're like, <laughs> you know, and you're like, they either broke their toe or had a rectal exam. One or the other. I hate to put that image in, in you on Easter Sunday. I know that's not right. But this is Jesus having been tortured for a day and a half, and he's going on a stroll. Really? That's what we want to hold on to? Some people do. The second one, very popular, appeared even right away in Matthew chapter 28, proposed by the authorities is that the disciples stole the body. They stole the body. And what they did is, yeah, I know things went bad when, when their leader got killed, but they're in the upper room and they think, let's come up with another plan. Let's take the body, right? Now, they're not master thieves, but they somehow figure out a way to, um, to get to the tomb site. Oh, by the way, the orders are given by Pontius Pilate to a unit of Roman soldiers, the most elite soldiers of the time, between 12 and 16 of them to guard the tomb because they didn't want no sh- shenanigans going on. If you fell asleep on duty, the punishment was death. But somehow you have to assume that 12 Roman soldiers are like, yeah, they probably won't do that. Let's take a nap anyway. So they go to sleep. While they're asleep, the disciples, they roll the stone away without waking them up. They get the body. And instead of rushing off, they take their time. Let's unwrap the body. Let's take our time. No, they won't wake up. Let's just do it. And then they leave that. And then they take the body, right? And then they decide to, uh, you know, make up the story that he rose from the dead. Okay. A um, couple problems. One is what do you do with the appearances of Christ? If the only people claiming that Jesus appeared to him were the 11, because, of course, Judas wasn't around by then, then you could say, well, but the reason for the momentum was 500 people. You don't start this in, in the Roman Empire with 11 guys. No, there's five, over 500, we are told, in biblical and extra-biblical accounts, not just the Bible, that make this claim. Okay, there's a couple wackos that are always making up stuff, but five, 600 people? But the bigger issue is this, why? Why? Well, what's their motive? Because they didn't get rich. They didn't go on a speaking or a book signing tour. It wasn't like they were super popular. Well, they didn't get power. Because, why? What do they possibly have to gain? You do know that 10 of the 11 disciples died violent deaths because of the claim that they made about Jesus Christ. Now, follow me. Upper room, afraid, wanting to hide from the authorities. And within three days, they are out in the street making this claim. Jesus rose from the dead and he was God. Because they make that claim, 10 out of 11 suffer violent deaths. Let me just give you a couple examples. James, 
Jesus is God. He rose from the dead. Really? They throw him off the temple, uh, off the temple mount top. He, he falls to the ground, fractures both of his legs. Now what do you think? You want to recant? No. Jesus was God. He rose from the dead. So they take rocks and they start throwing it at him. You want to recant? No. Jesus rose from the dead. He is God. So a guy takes a basically a baseball bat and beats his brains in him. He dies right there at the entrance to the, to the temple. That's James. Peter, what do you want to say about Jesus? He was God. He rose from the dead. You want to recant? No. Okay. They crucify him upside down. We'll take you off. All you got to say is you made it up. Nope. Thaddeus. Thaddeus makes the claim that Jesus is God. He rose from the dead. You want to change your mind? No. So he's stoned. Just to be clear, to be stoned in those days means something completely different than what it means today. <laughs> I want to make sure the kids get that. I, I, I can't figure it out. I'm not saying I'm a genius or anything. I can't. Why? Why? The, the third popular theory is what's known as just the disciples hallucinated. You know how it is. You're in the middle of a desert. You really want water. And so you see a mirage and you think you see water. You really didn't see water. You know, Discovery Channel will show you some movie about a mom who thinks that she sees a, a, a relative that is passed on. And, you know, it's hallucinations. It's psychologically sometimes these happen. Right. Couple problems. One is hallucinations happen to individuals, not groups. And yet the appearances of Christ happen in groups, essentially. The bigger problem is this. The authorities wanted nothing to do with the risen Jesus. Nothing. Not the Jewish authorities, not the Roman authorities. So if people are having all these hallucinations, all the authorities have to do is, you think you saw Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, see, he's right in there. There's his, there's his body right there. Option number four, theory number four, is that he actually rose from the dead. It's the only explanation for the empty tomb. It's the only explanation for the transformation of the disciples. It's the only explanation for the revolution that occurs in the Roman Empire. It's the only explanation for the appearances of over 500 people. The only explanation why they change worship from Saturday to Sunday in a snap. It's the only explanation why we celebrate things like the sacraments and Lord's Supper in church. It's the only explanation. In November of 2001, Sports Illustrated had this cover. It was an article, and, and they, the cover was talking about how the Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series. In the last game of the World Series, in the bottom of the ninth inning, they had this incredible comeback to beat the, 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 the Yankees for, for the World Championship, for the World Series. And it was an incredible game. If you're into baseball, it was, it was cool, right? They had a little article in there about top comebacks of all time just kind of fill the pages right and so they had things like they're like muhammad ali muhammad ali was out of boxing for what i don't know two three four years and then he came back to boxing and become world champ one of the comebacks uh, another of the comebacks was president harry truman who in 1948 everyone thought he had lost the newspapers proclaimed the other guy the winner and the following day harry truman was proclaimed the president that was quite a comeback. Michael Jordan, in baseball for a year and a half, two years, he, he decides to go back to the Bulls, and, and they win another championship. That's quite a comeback. The nation, the nations of Japan and Germany, completely destroyed, 
hammered in World War II. And now, look at the comeback. They are world leaders economically. But Sports Illustrated, listed as number one comeback of all time, all it said was this, A.D. 33, Jesus Christ. Because everyone thought it was over. It was done. No one expected him to come back. Not his disciples, not the authorities, nobody. I'm wondering if maybe some of you here today need a comeback. Because it's bottom of the ninth and you're down big. And I'd like to suggest that through Christ that's possible. That comeback is possible. Let me take you back to the story. It says uh, they, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And then we put it on the screen. They talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along, uh, along with them. But they were kept from recognizing them. He asked them, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, I don't know why I find this funny. <laughs> But let's say you're, at, you're, you're, you're getting on to BART, you know, there's a lot of people or it's right after a, a performance and there's just people walking everywhere and you're walking next to people, right? Or you're at the line in a supermarket and it's, it's not unusual. You can strike up a conversation with someone right there. What's, you know, what's going on and everything because right next to you. But there's these two guys walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles. Basically, there's no one around. There's these two guys talking. Yeah, I went about this and that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, you know, starts walking next to him. You know, and then he 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 just inserts himself in the conversation. He goes, yeah, what are you guys talking about? I, mean, I just think that's that's funny. You know, he's just messing with them. And, and these guys, look at them. They stood still. Their faces were downcast. In other words, they were discouraged about what had happened. One of them named Cleopas. We don't know the second guy's name, but we do know the first guy's name. Wouldn't recommend that for a name of a child, but that's what they call it. One of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these, these days? Where have you come from? Don't you know that North Korea wants to attack South Korea? Don't you know it's just about ready for baseball season to start? Don't you know we saw white smoke? White smoke, we have a new pope. Where have you been? Don't you know about all these things that have happened? And then I like, I like what Jesus says. What, what things? Let's, let's go. He's, um, so they're like, oh, okay, just tell them, you know. So they start explaining about Jesus and he was this prophet and, and he taught and, you know, and then he this and that and we, you know, so on and so forth. They go back and forth. They explain the whole story of Jesus. And then the story ends with with this. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. They, they crucified him. They killed him. Now, they're explaining this to Jesus. Right. And then a, a fairly problematic statement that I'm going to break down for you in a minute. They say we had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one. We thought he was a man who is going to redeem Israel. Many of us know about Jesus, but we have, I think, many of us mistaken understanding of who he was and why he came. And this one phrase, I think, very quickly summarizes for us what many of us misunderstand about Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Let's break it down. We had hoped. 
Past tense. Past tense. Way too many of us have a past tense relationship with Jesus. It's all about about what he used to do or has done in the past in my life. When you got saved, sometime in the past, you know, it was that vacation Bible school, it was that youth camp, it was at that Billy Graham meeting, or, you know, it was that one church I used to, my grandma used to take me to, past. It's that one time he, he, he helped me bounce back from an addiction, you know, when he helped my marriage recover, and I was really down and dis- dis- discouraged, and he brought me back, past. You know, there was that one church I used to go to when I was in college, and I, I really felt alive in, in Christ, and I was growing in my faith, and man, I was so excited about Jesus, past. I have no problem about talking about your past or my past in Christ because they're mile markers in our journey of faith. But you certainly don't believe that's what being a Christ follower is all about, do you? It's not about past tense, it's about present tense. So I just want you to ask yourself, be honest, where are you present tense with Jesus? How's he challenging you today, right now? How's he stretching you today, right now? But where is he building you today, right now? How are you growing spiritually today, right now? Because if all you're doing is talking about past tense Jesus, past tense Christianity, what happened years ago, I'm going to suggest to you it's going to be a problem. It's a problem. We had hoped, fingers crossed, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, little problem. The, I, the word redeem, I gave you the, the, what the definition means. It means to bring freedom. The reason everybody on Palm Sunday waved uh, branches, which was essentially a Palestinian liberation flag, is because they believed as Jesus came in on a donkey, doesn't seem very impressive, but it's, it's the equivalent of a, of a general coming in on a white horse. They thought Jesus was going to be a political and military individual who would redeem them, who would free their people politically. And Jesus like, time out. Yeah, no, not, that's not why I came. I, yeah, you're right. I did come to redeem. I came to redeem you spiritually, not politically. I came not to release your country from bondage. I came to release your soul from bondage. And one other quick thing. I didn't just come for Israel, the chosen people. I didn't just come for the people who who want me and are interested in me. It's as if God is saying to them and he's saying to you this morning, I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm glad you're here. But my message and my purpose isn't just about those of you who are here. It's about those that are walking past, heading to Ross, sitting at IHOP, eating, going to the movies today, have nothing and no no one to do with Jesus or God. It's about them as well. People you go to school with and you live with. People you work with that are far from my heavenly father. I came for them as well. It's not just for you. We had hoped he would redeem Israel. Finally, Jesus says, okay, let me take over. And he begins to, and he, and I'm not, I don't have time to read all the verses, but he gives him three challenges, three challenges that I'm going to quickly walk through with you. Um, and I have kind of like the key phrases up there. One starts in verse 25. He said to them, now this seems a little aggressive right away. How foolish you are. Everything was going well. And then Jesus goes into how foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? Enter his glory. Now look at verse 27. 
After beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. First challenge he gives to these two guys and he gives to you this morning is you need to take your Bible seriously. You need to take your Bible seriously. Essentially, what he says to these guys is, you had my Old Testament scriptures. You had all the explanation about who God was and what I was going to do. And you didn't even take the time to read it. Check it out. It's almost as if God is saying to some of us this morning, uh, you're over depending on Dave sometimes. I'm more than happy to give you a spiritual smorgasbord and break down the Bible once a week for you. But Jesus says, for crying out loud, if this really is my word, what about Monday through Saturday? I want to help you. I want to challenge you. This is going to benefit you. Yeah, I know it's hard to understand. I got that. It's rather sobering when you read statistics about American church-going people and how much we know or don't know this book. 48% of church-going Americans can't name the four Gospels. 60% of church-going Americans can name only five out of ten commandments. 61% of us Believe the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. You can't even make that up. I mean, that's crazy right there. <laughs> and all I'm saying is, I, I got it. I know this is hard to get sometimes. But, but Jesus says, take this book seriously. The, the next one kind of follows, you know. In, 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 he says in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further i kind of like how jesus does that so they're walking around they're talking to each other and and they start heading this way and jesus is like yeah no i'm heading that way i'm going you guys going to emmaus yeah no i'm going over there verse 29 but they urged him strongly stay with us can, can you stay with us and the second challenge jesus gives us this morning is be proactive about your growth spiritually be proactive be the kind of person that says to Jesus, can you can you stay with me? Can you help me out some more? I, I want that. I, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I, I want that. See, it's not about mom and dad needling you to come to church. It's, by now, it's not about your boyfriend or girlfriend saying, it's Easter, you really should go. It's not. It's about you and God. That's what it's going to come down to. You be proactive. You be intentional about saying, I want to grow in this area. And then by far the most significant challenge that God gives this morning, verse 30. Uh, when they were at the table and when he was at the table, that by the way, I like it that Jesus never forces himself on you. He's going to insert himself into your life for a little bit as he's trying to do this morning. And then he's going to do with you what he did with these two guys. Yeah, no, I'm going this way. If you want me to stay, I will. But if not, I'm going to go this way. I'm not going to twist your arm. So they say, come with us. By now, it's it's nighttime. It's taken them a full day to go from the Bay Area to Los Angeles to Emmaus. And they sit down for a meal. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Do you recognize that terminology? It just happened two and a half days ago with the disciples in the upper room. Now check this out. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they finally recognized him. And then I love this next part. And then he disappeared from their sight. They're like eating, you know. That's Jesus. Poof, he's gone. What? 
I just think that's funny. <laughs> These poor guys are like, what is going on here? Right? Verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with, within us when he talked with us on the road? In other words, we thought he was just some weird dude inserting himself into our conversation. But didn't you feel that thing inside of you? The last thing that God challenges you, he, you know, he wants you to take his word seriously. He wants you to be proactive about growing. And the most important thing, he wants you to accept Jesus in your life. You know, when you accept Jesus in your life, it's, it's kind of a combination of eyes being opened and hearts burning. The eyes being opened comment is basically it's it's oh, that makes sense. It's, it's a it's an intellectual understanding, you know, and, and I think some of you are connecting the dots this morning when it comes to the resurrection. Well, yeah, I, I, can't, I think I get it. I think nothing else makes sense to me other than I mean, I know it's unbelievable, but I, I think I get it. My eyes are open. There's, there's an understanding. But it's it, Christianity isn't just an intellectual, a philosophical understanding of God. There's also this heart is burning. And it's hard to explain, but I know some of you are experiencing it and have for a while where you have this sense that God is tugging on you. And he's saying, come my way. Take my son. I heard about this guy who gets to heaven and he says, OK, I'm here. I'm ready to come in. And uh, St. Peter goes, well, hey, you know, we have a system before we let anyone in. And uh, not many people know about it, but you need a thousand points before you can get into heaven. It's like a thousand points. How, what is this all about? He goes, it's like Chuck E. Cheese where you need to get all these things and get certain prizes. You know, a thousand points you get to come into heaven. Well, how do I how do I get points? He goes, well, it depends how you what you did on on earth. And based upon what you did, I give you points. And if you get a thousand points, you get to come in. So tell me some of the good stuff you did. So the guy goes, well, uh, uh, I, I went to church quite a bit. I mean, not all the time, but I went to church quite a bit. And, you know, I, I helped as an usher for a while. And then I then I would, did Sunday school and helped as a Sunday school teacher. And then eventually I tithed. I started giving 10 percent of what I had to the to the Lord's work. You know, I did all those things. Peter's like, OK, I mean, five points. You get five points for that. He's like five points. He goes, yeah, what else do you do? He goes, well, uh, you know, I never cheated on my wife. I think I was a pretty good husband. You know, I loved her. And, you know, I, I mowed my neighbor's lawn. You know, they were elderly couple and it looked horrible if they didn't. I did that for them. And I and I, I never cheated on my taxes. Peter's like another five points. You're up to ten. He's like, oh, this is not good. He goes, well, what else did you do? He goes, I never cussed, never got drunk, never did drugs. Peter's like, that's easy. That's another five points. He goes, what else? He goes, well, I, I think I was a pretty good dad. I mean, I helped my son with his homework as much as I could. And I coached this little league team for like six years, even though I'm really not into baseball. And like twice a year, I would take him to a football game and take him to the to the Niner game, you know. And so I was trying to be a pretty good dad. Peter's like, well, you get five points for the coaching and the homework and minus two points for taking him to a Niner game. <laughs> you thought I couldn't fit that into Easter Sunday, huh? I'm a skilled and experienced communicator. So, so <laughs> Peter's like, okay, you got 18 points. What else did you do? And the guy, by this time, he's sweating. He's, he's like, I don't, this is not good. You know, he's afraid. I don't think I'm going to make it. And then kind of off the top of uh, the cuff, he says, you know, at this rate, he just kind of says out loud at this rate, I'll, I, I'll only be able to get in by the grace of God. Peter said, did you say grace of God? He goes, yeah. 
He goes, grace of God, 5,000 points. Welcome to heaven. Now, the point of the story is very simply this. There's nothing you can do that gains you enough points to make it to heaven. You will only make it by the grace of God. You will only make it through the person of Jesus Christ when you hold on to what he did for you on the cross. It's the only way you get in. I know my time is up, but I I don't think they're going to charge the stage and take my mic, so I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Verse 33, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. So they just went all the way from the Bay Area to Los Angeles, Emmaus. Oh, we're tired. Let's sit down and eat. They had recognized Jesus. They're like, let's go back to Jerusalem and tell them what happened. So that's what happened. They head back to Jerusalem. Verse oh, verse 35 and, and 36, they, they go and they tell the disciples, well, you know, what's, what's going on. And, you know, well, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So I think this, again, I just think this is weird, you know. And then we were walking, you know, and Wolverine Jesus came by with us and he started talking to us about what had happened. And then we were eating with him and, oh, my goodness, then we realized it was him and poof, he disappeared. So we ran all the way back and we want to tell you what happened. And they're telling all the disciples this and they're so excited. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm right here. (laughs) He's just, you know, and and then he says to him, verse 38, he said to them, are you troubled? Why do you doubts rise in your mind? And again, acknowledging the obvious, how unbelievable and difficult this is, the process. But one of the most incredible verses is verse 41. Look, I don't have it on the screen. Just look. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Now, it's the disciples. And here's what they're saying. Yeah, uh, we're not sure if we can do this yet. We can't quite figure it out yet. We, we still have some doubts yet. But that's not going to keep me from saying I, I'm in. I'm in. And if you're, you're the kind of person that has to wait until every doubt and every philosophical explanation and every intellectual argument is explained, you're going to be in trouble. You have to know enough about what you think happened with Jesus and that resurrection. And after that, it's the first domino and everything else happens. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Few of you probably recognize this guy right here. Lionel Lukku. Lionel Lukku was um, considered to be one of the greatest trial attorneys ever. He um, uh, apparently was in the Guinness Book of World Records. He had 245 successful murder defenses in a row. I guess just an incredible attorney. He had all kinds of fame, all kinds of popularity, icons of wealth. But um, later on in his life, he said in his own biography that he felt empty. So at age 63, he put on his lawyer's hat and he began to think through the story of Jesus and specifically the resurrection. And one of the greatest trial attorneys of all time, first an atheist when he first started studying Jesus, came to this conclusion. I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer in many parts of the world. I could say unequivocally the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. 
if you think of the resurrection as just a really good story, in my humble opinion, it's really going to mess you up. It really is. I'm just going to leave you with one question. What are you going to do with Jesus? Not, not everything he taught in here. What are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Even if you still have some questions, do you have the courage to say, I'm in? Let's close in a word of prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to take a moment and I want you to reflect on that one question. What are you going to do with Jesus? What do you think happened in A.D. 33 that weekend in Jerusalem? I, I want you to take a moment. And I want you to try and determine and figure out. Does, does it make sense to you today? Do you have a sense that your eyes have been opened? Most importantly, do you have a sense in your heart, in your gut, that God is drawing himself, drawing you to himself. What are you going to do with Jesus? If you're here today and just like those disciples, you're thinking to yourself, you know, some of this is kind of nonsense. Some of it, I, I have doubts. But my eyes are open and my heart is ablaze and I'm in. I'm in. If you believe that, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart silently to God. Dear God, I, I come to you today and I, it's hard for me to believe that I'm even praying. I, I've known about you. I know others that believe and talk about you. But I've never given my life to you. I've been in church before, but I've never intentionally said yes to your son Jesus. But even though I, don't, I still have a lot of questions and I still have doubts, today I want you to know, God, I'm in. I'm in. Because I believe the only thing that makes sense is that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, he wasn't just a man, he was God. And if he was God, then what he said about you and salvation is what counts. And I believe in that and I trust in that. And as best as I know how, I have faith in that. I got a lot to work on, God, but I'm holding on to your son, Jesus, this morning. Forgive me of my sins. From this day forward, Father, help me live like you want me to live. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you, so I can pray for you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I wonder if you could just slip your hand up real quick like the eight in the first service. Hand over here. Anyone else? Several hands in the back. Anyone else? Put your hand up so I could see it. Hand up front. Three or four hands up front. Anyone else? Slip it up real quick. Heavenly Father, for the eight people in first service, for the nine or ten in second service here that for the first time made a commitment to you, Father, I want to thank you. I want to praise you. And it's exciting to me to know that your word says that angels are rejoicing in heaven. And you, Heavenly Father, look down on what's happening, not just here, but around the world and say, as hard as it was to give up my son, it was worth it.
because of the 18 people here this morning in this church in the East Bay. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, though, I want to talk to the rest of you. Because I realize that 90, 95% of you made that decision years ago. Maybe in a service at Easter, maybe at youth group, or maybe at a camp, whatever it was. I want to ask you a question. Eyes closed, head bowed. Are you just embracing the salvation that the cross brings or also the salvation that is given to us because of the resurrection? You see, the cross saves you from wrath. It saves you from slavery to sin. It saves you from the devil, from the power of darkness. But the resurrection saves you to righteousness in Christ. It saves you to a union with Jesus. It saves you to a life of righteousness, eternal life, freedom in Jesus, community with the saints. Is, is your life in Jesus a past tense activity or is it present tense? I'm wondering, is there anyone here today that says, you know, my life as a Christian is all about what's happened to me in the past, not what's happened to me now. And I want that to change today. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who maybe grew up in church or have been in church for a while, it's so easy to think we got it all together because we, we accepted you years ago and we, we got it made. But you remind us that the Easter story is not just about the past decisions we've made and the future we have in you, but it's about the present tense giving us a life of fulfillment and satisfaction, a life that we will give willingly in obedience to you because of the sacrifice you gave. And Father, we are admitting today that many of us don't live up to that. There are areas in our life right now we know are not pleasing to you. And it's because our relationship with you is all about the past tense. But we want to make it about today. Father, I am thankful that we could spend some time today reflecting on who you are and reflecting on your word. I pray that you would take us from here and you would challenge us and cement in our brains and in our minds, cement in our hearts what we've learned today. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.